0: Right. Good afternoon, and welcome to our series of webinars focused on bringing you information about COVID nineteen related topics. During today's webinar, we're going to be talking about understanding the ics, epidemics, pandemics, and endemics. My name is Mitzi Vince, and I'm a communications specialist with Quality Insights. And without further ado, I'll get us started. So, on today's episode, we're talking with Patty Austin from our Quality Insights team. Patty's a quality improvement specialist here at Quality Insights. She's been working in the skilled nursing arena for the past 29 years. After starting her career as a nursing assistant and leaving the front lines as a director of nursing, the variety of perspectives that Patty has enables her to see the big picture that helps nursing facilities create lasting change within their communities. Patty Patty has been with Quality Insights since 2016 and considers it a privilege to be able to interact with so many different facilities on a variety of topics each day. So welcome, Patty, and thank you for joining us today to talk about understanding the ics, epidemics, pandemics, and endemics. I love that title, by the way.
1: (laughs) It's very nice to be here again with all of you today. And it's equally as nice to be talking about something we've all been looking forward to, and that's the impending return to normalcy. We're maybe not quite as close as we'd like to be, but it's at least on the horizon. And we do have a lot to talk about, so I'll try not to take up too much time here, and I'll turn things right back over to you, Mitzi.
0: All right, thanks, Patty. So to get us started, what is the difference between pandemic and endemic?
1: Hey, so endemic, pandemic, and epidemic, and then let's throw an outbreak have been some of the most used words for us over the last two years, right? The differences are subtle, but are important. They all start with a disease and they relate to the prevalence of the disease as well as the incidence of the disease. Outbreaks lead to epidemics and then maybe into pandemics. Pandemics and epidemics can be eradicated or maybe they're gonna move to endemic status. And then you throw in an outbreak and you might be right back to an epidemic. So what came first, the chicken or the egg? This question can help us to understand the differences in our terminology when we apply it to our experiences with COVID. What came first? a few reported cases in a country thousands of miles from us. As those incidents of identified cases became more prevalent, COVID moved from an epidemic phase in that country or to an epidemic phase in that country. So a couple of cases turned into an epidemic. Epidemics are declared when a disease is actively spreading and new cases substantially exceed what's expected. More broadly, it's a term that's used to describe a situation that simply is out of control. As COVID spread from country to country and developed both in incidence and in prevalence across the globe, it then moved from an epidemic in a foreign country to a global pandemic. A pandemic is simply an epidemic that has spread over multiple countries or continents. I saw a little memory jogger that has stuck with me. Pandemic, spelled with a P, is an epidemic with a passport, so pandemics are epidemics that travel. Epidemics and pandemics are actively spreading disease, and the new cases substantially exceed what we expect them to do.
0: Okay, so we understand that when a disease is spreading in a localized manner at an above expected rate, it's considered an epidemic. And so when it's spreading widely across countries at a higher than expected rate, then it's considered a pandemic. So what then is all the talk that we've been hearing about COVID-19 becoming an endemic? Okay, so the WHO states
1: that a disease outbreak is endemic when it is consistently present but has a fairly predictable spread. Take malaria, for example. It's considered endemic in certain countries and regions in our world. That predictability allows healthcare systems to prepare and adapt, reducing the potential loss of life. An outbreak is a greater than anticipated increase in the number of endemic cases or a single new case in a new area. If not quickly controlled, an outbreak can quickly become an epidemic. And that starts the whole cycle all over again, taking us right back to what came first, the chicken or the egg. And while it's still too early to declare COVID has reached endemic stage, there are some indicators that point to us moving slowly in that direction. In many cases, your facilities have noted a decrease in the severity of illness you're experiencing over the recent weeks, yet we're no longer surprised when COVID testing reveals positive results, are we? We don't know if this new expectation is going to last or if yet another variant lies on the horizon. We remain in a state of uncertainty that continues to permeate our everyday life. The predictability that's necessary to move from pandemic to endemic isn't quite there for us yet, but it is time for us to consider what COVID as an endemic might look like for us.
0: Okay, and and that seems like quite the challenge with so much unknown. How can we begin to kind of plot that path forward?
1: Well, that can seem challenging. Consider, for those of you that might be old enough to remember, and imagine, for those of you that aren't old enough to remember, a time before seatbelts. As kids, if you're as old as I am, we piled into cars, we sat on each other's laps, Heck, if we could get away with it, we'd crawl in that little space between the back window and the back seat. In today's world, we'd never consider allowing our kids to travel in that way. And we almost subconsciously, the first thing we do when we get in a car is we put on our seatbelt, right? As a society, we recognize the risk of traveling in a car and we put plans in place to lessen the expected risk. We did airbags and seatbelts and instituted impaired driving laws, engineering practices changed. All of those things have become the expectation and not the exception. Soon, the daily risks we run with COVID may seem as much a part of our normal daily life as the risk we run when we jump into the car for a trip to the store, or we navigate a typical flu season. Let's look at some of the things that we're gonna need to have happen and the areas that we're need to, gonna need to plan for before we can reach that new seatbelt mentality when it comes to COVID. First, as a country, we're gonna have to decide on what's an acceptable disease burden. And then we're gonna have to use those targets to define what an acceptable new normal is. Building that consensus may be one of the biggest challenges we face. We're going to need to move beyond just considering the number of positive cases and begin to consider the impact that those positive cases have on our society. What is the point at which positive cases cause economic or social disruption? We're going to need to set targets for things like mortality rates and hospitalizations. In what way will we measure the effect of COVID on daily life? What will the impact on mental health? be for not only our residents, but for our staff. These new norms might vary by location or by population. For example, a rural facility with one community hospital might set different norms than an urban facility with a vent unit. Once that consensus is created, our goals then have to be realistic and balanced with the needs of society. In some places, Zero cases is never going to be an appropriate target. Without realistic goals, people can easily lose interest in achieving that expected outcome. And finally, we come to the importance of communication and creating our vision of what living with COVID looks like. We have to find ways to continuously build a shared vision. While our government leaders are gonna pave the way by setting expectations, it's gonna be up to us to determine the best way to meet those expected new norms. The situation's gonna be fluid and evolve over time. And as we learn more about what works and what doesn't work, we'll have to constantly be prepared to pivot and change our current course. And that's where the consistency in our messaging is gonna be critical.
0: Okay, um, so Patty, I think what you're saying is that first, we have to agree on what living with COVID-19 as an endemic will look like, right? But what comes after that?
1: Well, once we have those realistic goals to work toward, and the parameters that we'll need to work inside of, we find ourselves back to a pretty familiar place, and that's tracking our progress toward those goals. That has to be done as simply and as transparently as possible. Transparency and simplicity will be needed to create sustainable pathways to success. Some of the things to consider might be setting targets for things like the number of hospitalizations or deaths. How many work days missed are acceptable. Maybe satisfactions, satisfaction surveys and retention rates play a part. Health department efficiency rates might um, be a key factor. And particularly, vaccinations and booster rates will be an important thing to consider. We know that immunization is our single biggest weapon against COVID, so it makes sense that vaccines and boosters have to continue to be at the forefront of our planning. Then operationalizing the data that we collect is going to be paramount to creating systems that can move forward in a functional way. As we learn more and more about the virus and understand its transmissibility better, monitoring systems will also need to include real measurements of what interventions work and which don't. This determination will not be any good if our data isn't any good. So the course that we plot is only going to be as viable as the data that we collect is with good data and a dedicated focus, our ability to conduct meaningful, productive analysis is gonna continue to improve. The data that we're currently reporting into the NHSN system and the data that we're requesting that you guys report back to us related to your boosters and vaccination clinics is gonna help us to predict and plan for a post-pandemic world. Another area of consideration as we move from pandemic to endemic is limiting death and serious illness. To achieve a new normal in which ongoing COVID transmission is an accepted occurrence, we have to find ways to make the risk acceptable to the general population. This means minimizing the severity of illness, mitigating long-term effects of COVID or long COVID, and reducing COVID mortality. We have all the tools we need to begin that journey.
0: Thanks, Beth. You know, that does sound like something we really need to work toward. Can you suggest where we could get started with that? Well, first, I guess
1: vaccines have shown high efficacy in preventing severe COVID, and they're going to be critical to normalizing society. Reducing vaccine hesitancy and scaling boosters across populations is going to be an ongoing focus and should be planned for as a long-term intervention rather than one and done quick fix kind of deal that we have been doing to this point. As acute cases subside, that's going to kind of present a different type of challenge and require sustained and novel efforts to engage and educate our communities. Really a paradigm shift must occur in the way that we think about COVID vaccines and boosters they have to move from being what we did to stop an out of control situation into what we have to do to maintain control that we have recently gained. Finding ways to combine public sector policy, private sector practice, and that shared cultural value can create incentives for developing a shared societal norm in which vaccines are needed to effectively live with COVID. Second, Treatments are gonna need to be considered. When people do become infected, effective treatment is critical. This area continues to evolve and is gonna play a large role in moving us to an accepted norm. As they develop, new and proven therapies and practices are going to need to be incorporated into our standard of care, especially in our high-risk communities. Our health systems themselves are gonna continue to be a focus, Developing surge plans that can be quickly triggered to increase care capacity in response to a local or widespread outbreak and the expected seasonal fluctuations is going to be an important consideration, while ensuring that non-COVID care needs continue to be able to be met. And we can't forget that effective management of moving from COVID pandemic to endemic will also include catching all those people up on the preventative and elective care that might have been missed or delayed during the pandemic. The final critical element to limiting death and serious illness is to recognize that our population is vulnerable and we will require enhanced focus as we move forward. Continuing to ensure access to vaccines and boosters for all geographic and socioeconomical economic segments of our population is going to continue to take center stage for us. Within our communities, we have the perfect storm, right? A vulnerable population with continuous exposure to potential outside carriers, i.e. our staff. The, The importance of vaccinating one does not overshadow the importance of vaccinating the other. So vaccinations and boosters for both residents and staff should hold equal weight for us at this point. As the severity of illness decreases, we're gonna to need to find communication and education practices that shift the focus from immediate relief to ongoing preventative maintenance. Do you think you know people who would consider a COVID, COVID booster differently if it was presented in the same way that you present taking a blood pressure medication to prevent a heart attack? We're going to need to have tailored strategies to ensure that all of our communities have access to the resources and information they need to move from pandemic to endemic. That includes education, vaccines, and treatments. Finally, we need to continue our efforts to slow the transmission of COVID. We need to incorporate the interventions we already have in place and make them as routine as putting on that seatbelt is. Doing this is a vital piece to ensure endemic status is maintained and a return to epidemic or pandemic is not realized. There are kind of four things that can help support us in the slow of transmission. First, widely available rapid testing. Seeing the enemy at the gate allows us to quickly prevent future spread. Second, we know that transmission occurs when people congregate. Therefore, we have to consider ways to enable safe interactions in those settings. You might need to consider things like masking for large group gatherings, staging days of high visitation rates, and bringing fewer people together at one time, reconfiguring public gathering spaces to allow for greater social distancing. And those are just some of the items that we probably are gonna need to consider. Third, our increased attention to infection control practices must, without question, become the expected norm. We know that areas that are, inten- that are intensely scrutinized, like infection control that has been over the last 18 months, last lapse back into non-compliant workarounds when scrutiny is removed. So it's kind of that if the cat's away, the mice will play mentality. Our challenge is going to be to normalize the expectations surrounding infection control and to move those practices again into that seatbelt mentality. Finally, when outbreaks do occur, and they will despite our earnest preparations, we have to have plans in place to rapidly respond to limit exponential transmission. Contact tracing and investigation procedures should become standard practice. And they can play critical roles in responding to localized outbreaks. And again, we can't overstate the importance of the best weapon in our arsenal, vaccinations. Collaborations across the public sector, private sector, and care delivery systems, including common communication platforms and data sharing when possible, is going to be critical for containing hotspots. Collectively, those four areas are going to require a momentous societal shift, and we're all going to have a role to play. Our government will build consensus on our goals. All of the data that we're currently reporting is helping them to do that. Employers are going to set policies for the workplace and help employees navigate the changing mindset. Health systems can strike a balance between quality of life and outbreak prevention, Individuals can even challenge the beliefs they've developed in the past 18 months and adopt new behaviors. The fluidity of the current situation is going to require the ability to adapt quickly as new variants are identified, vaccinations are refined, and treatments improved. We will be constantly challenged to course correct and move forward. An example might be that as variants are identified and vaccinations improved, The phrase booster vaccination may no longer be accurate. We may move to a seasonal COVID vaccine, much like the flu vaccinations we're already familiar with. Just that simple shift in terminology may then have the added benefit to reducing hesitancy as we make the foreign concept of adult boosters align more with the accepted standard of seasonal vaccinations. As we begin to accept that we may never see the day when COVID is over and that we now have to find ways to incorporate its existence into our daily life, you'll have to forgive me just for a minute for saying that the plan forward is most easily viewed through the lens of QAPI. Seems almost silly to say, right? But in reality, it is as simple as that. Our plan has to be data-driven. We define areas of concern and then we begin to plan ways to impact those areas in positive ways. We'll return to our data and we'll ensure that our interventions are working and adjust as the situation evolves. In many ways, moving COVID from pandemic to endemic is the largest plan-do-study-act cycle most of us are ever going to encounter. But that should be reassuring to us. We have the tools in our tool chest to crack this case, just like we've cracked many
0: before it. All right. Thank you so much, Patty, for taking time to provide us with your valuable insight today. Um, I just want to remind everyone, if you want to reach out to Patty directly, you can call Quality Insights at 1-800-642-8686 and enter extension 7633. You can also contact Patty at email at paustin at qualityinsights.org. And lastly, I just want to say thank you to everyone that logged in today and encourage you to check out our other interviews that we have in this series by visiting our website at www.qualityinsights.org forward slash QIN underscore blogs and pods. That's V-L-O-G-S-N-P-O-D-S.